What forces have brought them back here to this cursed land? What sins are they now answering for? For answers to questions such as these, we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons right now, you jerks! <laughs> Introducing a new Total Party Kill adventure only for incomparable members. And I'm really sad now that we don't have a pony anymore. So you know what? I cast Find Steed and suddenly <laughs> I now have a pony. Do you have Pony Sindelar or just a pony? I have a pony that is a celestial pony that understands common that I am naming Pony Sindelarent. Oh, <laughs> I've lost control. We're like two minutes in. I love this. You have, in fact, now a superior magic pony that kind of makes my pony from the last adventure look like garbage. <laughs> I was just wondering about the part where you said this is your town. My father. He was the burgermeister, the mayor. Dungeon Master aside here, this adventure requires me to use a word repeatedly <laughs> that I cannot take seriously. <laughs> that word is burgermeister. We're all in this together, people. I'm going to say that word. Part of me will die inside, but I'll try not to laugh. <laughs> Perhaps you have heard of Barovia, where you come from. Only as myths. I've been in Barovia, not the town. This is a little confusing. The town has the same name as the realm. We call this place Little Barovia to distinguish itself from the land of Barovia. Big Barovia, if you will. Is uh, so nice they named it twice. It is not nice. Why did we even agree to play this adventure? Who has left Tony in charge of this? It's all Dan's fault again is what I'm saying. I'm going to answer that one right now. <laughs> Dan. Dan. If you want to listen or watch future episodes of this adventure, they will be available to members only of The Incomparable. Theincomparable.com slash members. Erica is a thousand times more professional than I am. Thank you, Erica. The devil himself. Fascinating. Okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to go. The Incomparable. Number 477. September 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And this episode is a return to our season-by-season walkthrough of my favorite TV show of all time, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've reached... Season four, the awkward point in your high school themed TV show where you need to, you just can't plausibly have these people be in high school anymore. And after the exciting uh, demolition of Sunnydale High at the end of season three, it was time for Buffy to go off to UC Sunnydale uh, for season four and uh, learn about college and things. And uh, this is a, a great panel that we've assembled to talk about it. So let's just uh, dive in. Let me introduce my panelists. Aline Sims is here. Hello. Hello. Don't speak Latin in front of the books, though. <laughs> Burst into flames. Who knows? Gene uh, McDonald is here. Hello. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Uh, John McCoy joins us. John, welcome to UC Sunnydale. <laughs> Hi. If, if I yawn, it's only because I've spent the whole day filling in about six million cubic feet of cement. <laughs> well, you, yeah, you got to burn. Is that, a, is that a reference I'm missing? Or? <laughs> That's what they have to do at the oh. end to the uh, to the the initiative is uh, fill it all, all in right. with concrete. That's right. a lot of concrete. That's a lot of concrete. Steve, that was Steve Lutz you heard there. Steve, if you hurt her, I will beat you to death with the shovel. That's that's fair enough. Uh, I'm glad to be here, Jason, and I've made a little space for the cheese slices. Excellent. Good. There they are. Uh, and Quinn Rose is here. Hello. Hello. I'm here to talk about Willow and Tara for three hours, so I hope you all prepared for that. Okay. 
That's right. I have thoughts. Um, <laughs> I have what a, yes, one of the things that happens in this season, if we can talk about the configuration of the cast. So Buffy and Willow go to UC Sunnydale. Xander is a townie, basically. He's trying to figure out what to do with his life because he didn't go to college. Uh, we have uh, Spike is back in town, um, but spends most of the season as a neutered Spike because he gets a chip put in his head that means he can't harm humans. Giles is casting about for something to do and for an identity for himself because, of course, he lost his job when the high school exploded. And uh, he's uh, he's between projects at the moment, I believe is how he phrases it at one point <laughs> um, when he's asked if he's retired. Uh, well, he's also technically not the watcher anymore. So yes. That's right. So what's he going what's he going to do? And we we get um we get a new recurring uh, or new regular character in um Riley Mark Lucas who starts out as Buffy's TA and he's he's kind of an army guy and also um, Buffy's boyfriend by the end of the season. And of course, uh for our Oz update, which is why I was prompted uh when Quinn said she was going to talk about Willow and Tara, we meet we meet Tara who who becomes uh, Willow's girlfriend. Um as for Oz, Willow's boyfriend at the beginning of the season, Seth Green, they apparently ran out of stories to tell involving him and he got offered movie gigs and so he abruptly leaves only to return briefly a couple of times later in the season he is very rapidly and leave even written more out. abruptly yes indeed <laughs> he, he appears in the dream episode so that's nice uh and one other episode but yes he he there's literally an episode where it's like oh uh bad werewolf stuff and there's like a girl werewolf and then i guess i'm leaving okay goodbye and he's gone so that's the, the that's the cast machinations that happens um but we do get uh, get to spend uh time with tara who is a new character and uh and uh more time with anya who is uh, xander's girlfriend in this season uh any thoughts about the the cast and the characters we should start there before we dive into some episodes any any thoughts about this season in terms of what the characters are doing and and uh and and where they're going yeah i i want to say i really love the college setting um it's i think it's the breath of fresh air that the show needed after the previous season the high school had worn out its welcome they weren't really using the high school very much anyway they just happened to be at the high school by the time the third season came around um so yeah i really like the college setting i think it i think it gives them a lot more space to breathe i just i wish there was more of it uh because the college stuff kind of disappears after the sixth or seventh episode and they just happen to be at a college but it's it's no longer kind of a player in the in the storylines but uh you can see that they're trying right it's like oh here's a professor and here's a ta and then we turn it turns out oh they're actually part of the the big bad for the season and all of that but but you know it does sort of fade away as the I mean the first the first few episodes like we get our we get our first day of college episode we get our uh, roommate problems episode we get you know the, the the first half of the season we get our beer episode yeah. uh, we get those but then you're right it does it does I agree also um, isn't it interesting how that uh, that one building at UC Sunnydale looks very much like uh, like the high school except with uh, <laughs> some Mexican tile attached to the walls it's totally different it's totally different place i mean it's it's you know that's they apparently are in the same like five square mile area that Hmm. the bronze and the high school and buffy's house are in so maybe it was all the same architect that built the whole area yeah maybe so i think this season is pretty slow to get started but that the character work that happens in this season is some of the best of the whole show i think that a, a lot of characters get really interesting arcs throughout it. I personally think season four is the best spike that we get. I love <laughs> season four spike neutered with a chip in his head. Can't hurt anyone. Still hates everyone. Mm-hmm. It's 
so funny every time. <laughs> I had forgotten how funny the season was. And, it, and it, it's, you know, you look at, in the end, you often boil down Buffy to like what happened in that season. So this is like, well, it's the initiative and Adam and and uh, going off to college. But in the details, and I, so I, I agree with you, Quinn, um, the the character moments, the the opportunities for comedy, everybody kind of gets an episode where they get to really kind of explore where they are as a character. And yeah, Spike, th- that twist of having Spike get the chip put in his head where he's still just as unpleasant as he always was, but now he's not threatening anymore. And all <laughs> the comedy that emerges from that and how he's treated. And, and there's that there's that one episode where he's uh, he's explaining how he needs to look for a place to live and he's going to have to find like some sort of a crypt and, you know, he won't have power and he won't have, uh, you know, a place for a refrigerator. And it's like, ah, uh, it's so good. It's uh, it's very funny. Good stuff. Yeah, there are a lot of good Spike scenes in here, and uh, there's a particular episode that I that I really enjoy with him, which maybe we'll talk about later. But mm-hmm. one thing I don't like is they 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 set it up at one point that maybe since he's discovered he can fight demons, but he can't destroy humans anymore, that he's going to be like this uh, this part of the gang where he's a demon fighter for at least a little bit, and that never pans out. And I really would have liked that to to be more of an element. Perhaps in future seasons that will <laughs> it's happen. It's entirely Steve. possible. But, uh, <laughs> I will say, I think the person who cuts the credit sequences must have been the most busy person in Hollywood at this point. Because <laughs> initially we've got, uh, we've got Oz in there, and then suddenly he's gone, and James Marcher is in the credits. Somewhere along the lines, Mark, Mark Blucas uh, makes an appearance. Mm-hmm. Then there's the one episode where the uh, what's-his-face from high school turns up. Jonathan. Jonathan's <laughs> yes. in every, in I like every that shot. Episode. Yeah, that's great. you got to watch that one. <laughs> so there's a lot, of, a lot of cast churn this mm-hmm. season, I guess, is it's true. Yeah. They're, they're definitely in, in season four. They're trying to reconfigure. And, you know, it's not surprising. The, the, the transition, like I said at the very beginning, a lot of shows can't handle this. This is I remember yeah. being nervous where it's like it's a high school show, but we can't be in high school anymore. So what are we going to do? And this show, you know, it embraces the college thing. It, it tries to tell some stories that are more college themed stories while still trying to be the Buffy that we remember. And I think it does a pretty good job. I think that means that it's not quite as embracing of college maybe as it could be. But I think, you know, to be more of that, you might like lose more characters that they weren't willing to lose. So we get Xander staying behind, which I think is I think is actually kind of a really interesting move for Xander that that he's trying to figure out what to do with his life, that he's he's not going to college. He's not he's just uh, he's just in town and in his parents basement. And yeah, and and kind of miserable, and trying to figure out what he wants to do. And I, I think that's, I think that's okay. So I, I think this is to be, even though some sometimes I think people are like, oh, college season, whatever. You know, it's not quite the same as the high school stuff. I feel like they did a pretty good job of balancing doing new stuff while having it be recognizably Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, I think part of the reason for that is really it hadn't been a, a high school show for quite a while. I mean, that the high school elements had really fallen to the background and. So when they show up at college, not that much has to change, uh, you know, and they get a few good early episodes with the roommate and the other, you know, moving into the dorms kind of stuff, which I really like. I love those early episodes. I, I And so, you know, the transition is not as hard as it could have been had high school had really been a part of the show still. Hmm. I, one of the shows that I used to love um, was Glee when that, you know, I watched it from the beginning and boy, did that show like tumble off mm. my list once they were they graduated from high school be, 
And I think, you know, when I compare it to what happened with Buffy, is first of all, they didn't split everybody up into like, and they didn't try to bring a bunch of new people in, you know, to like populate the cast. They they brought back old favorites. And, you know, besides Tara and uh, Riley, um, you know, it's the it's the same gang, and well, they have the it just works out, right, for me. Where we 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 think there's that one episode where we really think we're meeting all the graduate students and all of Riley's friends, and this is going to be like a new set of characters to interact with, and it's actually mm-hmm. just the twist where they get in the elevator, and it, it's revealed that they're actually the initiative, which is a a nice moment where you it's playing on your expectation that we're going to have to introduce some new college characters, and it's Riley and his buddies, and then it immediately kind of flips over to oh no. <laughs> <laughs> They're the commando guys we've been watching for the first five episodes. John, what do you think about the the way they handle this? Well, you know, I feel I've, I, I've been I've been holding back here because I, I feel like I have a kind of a different take on this, which is I wasn't that happy when they moved to college. And the reason is not that it wasn't time for them to move away from high school. It's just I don't feel like they ever quite got the the same grasp of high school archetypes as mixing in the the symbolism of these demons and what they represent for uh life events that you go through in high school and um i feel like they start out in college and they quickly uh sort of lose the thread of that i i mean i i find that strange because i would imagine that most of the writers and actors had gone to college maybe i'm wrong about that <laughs> it just didn't feel like anything i know from my college experience maybe it's because i actually work uh my in my day job at at a, at a large university and i'm sort of surrounded by the the academic life it just didn't feel like i mean <laughs> community feels more real about the college experience than, <laughs> than this did to me and and as everyone says it, it kind of falls away as the initiative takes over right but the the initiative stories are so slow to build uh, as i was watching this through I, I was thinking the, the the thought that I think a lot of people feel these days when you go back and revisit shows from the 90s and the 2000s is, wow, they used to have 22 episodes per season. And I was thinking, oh, my God, this could have really benefited from having like 12 episodes. I think you're right. If you look at the first handful of episodes – they are in those episodes they are trying to do the model of what are really recognizable things about the college experience and how can we tell buffy stories in them and so you get the freshman and you get living conditions which is the one with the roommate which i love Mm -hmm. and i feel like is a very much an archetypal buffy the vampire slayer episode but you get um fear itself which is the halloween frat party and you get beer bad which is a terrible episode but but at least is trying to tell a college story but you're right there there comes a point where they're in college only because they need like a setting for where they live and stuff and it, it the the college experience unless your college was i guess really into rotc and has commando people running around it was probably not like you the, you know the college in this season of buffy it does um it does fade into the background i think maybe they either thought it wasn't working or they kind of didn't have enough ideas about how to integrate the college um the college life into the storyline 
which is a pity because the couple of college things that they do hit on are pretty hilarious. The um, I love in the freshman the Klimt poster collection. Yes, that, that was the, hysterical. Uh, the vampires are, are <laughs> when they are gathering. Yeah. <laughs> when they first unrolled that Klimt poster, and he's like Klimt, yay! And I thought, what they need a Klimt poster like you know that's so passe. Uh, I thought vampires, like, you know, were more exotic than that. And then I see them tack it up on the wall, and it says that makes, you know, whatever the score is, Klimt versus Monet. And, uh, <laughs> like, call, and then I kind of cringe because I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a Monet poster. <laughs> yeah, and I saw more than my share of those Klimt posters on people's walls. And it's 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 great when they call out those things that, that are recognizable from college, but you're right. There aren't nearly enough of them. I mean, I would say like the, the roommate, the whole roommate episode is great in that respect because oh, so many so of the, the things that, uh, you know, dealing with living with a roommate for the first time are highlighted in there. And the, the, in a later episode, there's the horribly pretentious Wicca group that, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. is, 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 is pretty spot on. And so there's great college <laughs> stuff in there. And I really do wish like John, that they had, they had leaned on it maybe a little bit more and, and brought more of that in because I, I think it does take kind of a downslide when that sort of disappears yeah, you get some of the character moments like willow willow is a great example because i feel like and, and partly by accident because seth green left the show but like willow really does have across the season this character arc journey there's no like mm-hmm. episode where you know willow does like super college stuff it's it's more spread out but willow has the ultimate kind of finding herself and getting in touch with who she is and and you know she starts this show as a giant nerd she's in love with boys and by the end of this season she is uh deeply in love with tara and she has like had this real transformative college experience but it doesn't really happen in like an episode the buffy template right is this is an episode about a college party and you know she gets the character arc though i feel like she progresses in that way um and xander does a little bit but the willow especially does get that kind of freshman year i'm gonna be who you know who i actually am even though she's surrounded by her high school friends which i would imagine makes that more difficult than if you're just off on your own when i went to college there was nobody there who knew me or anything about me and i could just you know i could i could use that uh willow is surrounded by people who know her but still i felt like there was some real truth in in willow's story as somebody who gets to kind of figure out who they are as a person this episode of the incomparable is brought to you in part by away away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world they started with the perfect suitcase and now they offer a range of essentials that solve real travel problems their luggage is loaded with features the away carry-on comes in an array of colors two sizes and two materials so if you want that red one because all your friends have the blue one get the red one there and there's so many different colors and different sizes and there's a 100 day trial so you can try any away product for real not just look at it on the internet or in your house but take it on a trip and see how it handles the bigger carry-on is sized up to make the most of the overhead bin away suitcases are designed to last a lifetime you get a hundred day trial on everything plus free shipping within the u.s europe and australia i have the carry-on mine's blue we bought another one for my wife. Hers is red. We can tell them apart. And then we put some stickers on it because 
we wanted to tell them apart even more because these are so popular. This is why you have to try them. I love the little bag that comes inside to keep your dirty clothes away from your clean clothes. So good. Check them out today for $20 off a suitcase. Visit awaytravel.com slash Snell. Hey, it's my last name. And use promo code Snell during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash Snell. Use promo code Snell during checkout. Thank you so much to Away for supporting the incomparable. Willow is also the only person who doesn't start this season whining about their life. <laughs> and, oh, it's and it's w- like she's finally gets to go to college, right? Like mm, it's very Willow. Yeah. It's it's great. She's so excited. Yeah, and I and, and I get that you know transitions are hard and people are you know having a difficult time with this all these different things happening. But I feel like for the first like five or so episodes of the season. Everybody is just complaining all the time. <laughs> and Buffy's whole thing with Parker. Okay. Oh God. I like I was if Buffy was my personal friend, I would have a lot of sympathy for her. But as someone as a character on a TV show I'm trying to watch, I'm like, please for the love of God, get over it. <laughs> yeah, I really dislike the bits where Buffy comes off as overwhelmed by this great big college and in particular when she's mooning over Jerkwad Parker because I, I understand, you know, that's that's kind of the angle they're trying to take with college. And, and it's it's kind of a fun turnabout that Willow is in her element and Buffy is overwhelmed. But she's already proven herself much tougher and much savvier than that many times over in the last three seasons. And having her suddenly go naive for the sake of a plot contrivance just kind of feels wrong. Well, that's that's one thing I feel about the series in general, watching it through again after many years it's been a long time since i uh since i watched this and two things struck me one uh the early dvd menus were just the worst thing <laughs> the world. And, and, and two uh, buffy buffy characters tend to take on they, they take on actions as are needed by the theme of the episode so if the theme of the episode is going to be oh, Buffy gets her head turned by someone she thinks is sophisticated, but he's actually just a predator, then Buffy will behave in ways that make no sense for her. And I, I felt that way a little bit about Xander through this uh, this series, because we're supposed to feel bad for Xander being stuck in a rut. And so he keeps coming up with these crazy schemes about what he's going to do with his life. And you understand that, but then they just become so impossibly broad, like when he's going to sell these ridiculous protein bars. Uh, it, it just, I feel like, oh, come on. Yeah, I he, mean, he, he's basically at several points. He's Kramer basically. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Well, and, and also Oz, you know, the way he's written out of the show uh, is every time I watch it, it's, it just kills me a little yeah. bit because it's so the way they, the tactic they chose is so out of character for him mm-hmm. and so weird that every time I see it, I'm just like, you, you had no idea what you were doing with this. Like you were completely taken off guard because it's just weird. And then his return, it's like he's been gone for seven years on this spiritual journey, but it's only <laughs> been like a Two few months. weeks. Yeah. Like it's very, very odd. Yeah. Um, I feel for them because the story seems to be that they realized they didn't have anything for Oz to do and they were going to write him out. And then he got a he got a, a cast in a movie and was going to have to go for months. And and so there was this real scramble. 
And so you get that episode with uh, sexy werewolf Faruka, who, <laughs> you know, werewolves are going to do what werewolves are going to do, I guess. But it, it it is, it's one of those moments. And in a long running TV show, you're going to have these moments where outside influences change what you're planning and you just got to roll with them. And as a viewer, you look at it and you're like, oh, that was not what they thought they were going to do there. And so Oz's journey just gets sort of snipped and he's gone. It does leave... Uh, willow open to go in a different direction and my understanding is that was that was the thought was that joss whedon wanted um one of the main characters to realize that they were gay and so with oz out of the picture they're like okay um it'll be willow although i'm gonna i'm gonna say this now because this has always bugged me about the show which is i feel like the way willow's sexuality is handled is very weird in the sense that She's super into guys until she's super into girls. And I, I don't know whether a modern version of this show would would allow her to be more kind of floaty on the sexual preference spectrum because the way she's portrayed early on, um, other than meeting her vampire self, uh, which is the, for, the foreshadowing <laughs> there, um, I just it, it I, I love the story of her meeting and being super like awkward and reluctant and uh, Tara is obviously super shy that it's a, it's a sweet storyline. What, what gets me about it is just that I feel like it, that the shift with Willow is about as abrupt as the ship with Oz where it's like, Oh, we're going to do this story now. And I don't know. I just, that's how I always read it with, with, with Willow is that I'm not sure. I, I, Again, everybody's different. Maybe Willow is like this, but it felt very much like they just kind of flipped her from straight to gay in an episode instead of it being kind of a bigger storyline, even though I like the storyline with Willow and Tara. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think I have a suspicion that if this show was made today, then Willow would identify as bisexual maybe instead, because there's definitely like because in later seasons, she also like fully identifies as a lesbian. And it's like, well... But you had this really meaningful relationship with Oz that was so, okay. And I mean, you know, sexuality changes over time, but I think that was way more of a function of them being on network TV than like actually a realistic portrayal of sexuality. And they wanted to portray her as being proud about it, but the the whole sort of like gay now, not interested in boys anymore. It's like, but I've seen those other episodes and like, it, it yeah, it always got me the same way where it's like, I, I feel like, yeah, today they would say, oh, it turns out she also is attracted to women. She's attracted to both. And then she gets in a long-term relationship with a woman. She would be bisexual. And that's like in that era in 1999, I guess it was like, no, that's way too confusing. We're just going to say that she's gay now. Okay. It's like, all right, I guess. Okay. You know, it's interesting because maybe this comes up in later seasons that I haven't seen yet, but I haven't really gotten any of Willow being like, I'm not into boys anymore. I just sort of assumed she was bisexual. Uh, It, it, yeah. She, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well, it, 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 it's as a season four. Yeah. Uh, it's it's that that element of it is not there. And I actually thought that um, the buildup of the relationship between Willow and Tara is really really good, and it's it yeah. it feels like it's built up very organically mm-hmm. and methodically, uh, almost as if you know we better make damn sure that this feels real so people will will not freak out over it for sure. You know, and maybe we'll maybe we'll get some converts here. And it's it it, it uh, certainly takes a lot longer to develop than any other relationship I've seen on the show, um, <laughs> and and when it you know when it when she finally has the realization that she actually loves Tara, you know as opposed to just oh I'm just going over to to uh, my shy know, witch spells friend. with her yeah it's really really moving. 
I mean, I get I get the same feeling uh, watching this relationship unfold that, you know, that you get from a new love affair when, you know, everything is exciting. And it, that's, I guess, a part of the, the shyness of Tara coupled with this sort of uh, um, uh, halting growth of their relationship really, really works for me. I think it's great. There's so much that's special about this relationship between Willow and Tara. And like, obviously, I mean, this was 20 years ago, and it was so important at the time. Um, and it was the first kind of relationship like that, that was shown on primetime television. And for me watching it back, like, so they, the first time they really fully interact, not in their terrible wicked group is in <laughs> the episode Hush, where they can't speak. Yeah. Um, and they're being chased down by the gentleman. And they look at each other and they hold hands and do magic together to save their lives. And I burst into tears uh, because it was so such a beautifully touching moment. And because like I knew what was coming that's, next. So that's, it was really important to me. It's also Buffy. I will say that is Buffy at its best, which is yeah. it's a metaphor. <laughs> Like yep. them holding hands and doing a spell together. And, you know, there's a joke later on where Sandra says, I like to watch two girls doing a spell together. Right? <laughs> it's like, okay. But it's like, that's the beauty of that is that, is that we're seeing the metaphor for their relationship or that they're coming together and it's beautiful. And we all know what it means, even if it's not like in the, in the actual moment and the characters may not entirely realize it. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And the way that their relationship keeps building through them doing magic together and it like it really is this beautiful metaphor, which gets very murky in later seasons when they change what the metaphor of magic is. But we'll talk about that on later episodes. (laughs) Um, But for for season four, I I totally agree that this I think that the the development of it is artfully done um, and that it's touching at every turn. The one thing that I find darkly funny about it is that so there are no on-screen kisses between Tara and Willow this whole season Um, they don't kiss on screen for the whole time even though they're it's like heavily implied that they have a physical relationship but it's never actually shown um when paired with the fact that there is an episode in this season in which the actual plot is Buffy and Riley have a lot of sex yeah Mm -hmm. it's just Mm -hmm. funny yeah, no I, baby steps. I no. liked the satirization of their uh, network standards in the last episode of the season where Xander has his fantasy and they're super glammed up in the back of the ice cream truck and they start to kiss and it cuts to Xander watching them with kissing sounds for like five seconds, <laughs> maybe 10 <laughs> seconds. And that is very clearly Joss Whedon saying, what do you think they're doing? <laughs> like, you know, well, well, we can't show it. All right. We'll aggressively not show it then. Uh, because obviously they were prohibited from showing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really well done. But I will absolutely agree with uh, with Aline that the, the way they dispatch Oz oh. is way too abrupt and honestly kind of disrespectful to the character as it's been yeah. built up so far. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually think that even though it's, kind of out of the blue uh that really painful episode where he leaves is is pretty good as a tearjerker episode um but again it's so it's so quick and out of the blue that it's it's uh it's like what and you can and you can feel the imaginations you're like oh i guess they just needed to write him out in this episode like it doesn't yeah. feel like any groundwork was laid right it's really no. just oh this is the episode where we get rid of oz and 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 you're right and oz is such a stand up guy and and like everything we know about Oz up to this point that's been built into that character, and then in this episode they're like, yeah, but you know he's a werewolf, so what he's, are you going to do? He's an ass now. It's it just happened. 
And it's even worse the 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 final episode where he reappears, uh, you know, and has apparently mastered his werewolfery and can avoid being turned into a werewolf at the full moon. But he's too jealous to control himself now. And now being jealous makes him a werewolf and he has to run away again. And it's it's Boo. just it's such a crappy way to uh to to send him out. There well, had think, to be a better way I to think do that. that. In general, Buffy ha- the the Buffy writers have a strange touch when it comes to issues of characters' ethics. Um, I, I'm thinking now of, of of Faith coming back in the middle of the season, uh-huh. and 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 the, Faith is a character I always I always love because I I think that Elijah Dashku just brings a lot of joy to whatever she does, and it's very fun to watch on the screen. But as a character, I always felt like they didn't quite know what to do with her because they they didn't they couldn't treat her with nuance it's sort of like either she's good or she's completely bad and in and and i always felt like it, it was sort of like um you know when you play bioshock and you have to make your ethical choices and the ethical choices are are you literally going to murder kids or are you not going to murder kids <laughs> right. and if, and if that's the ethical world you live in then that that's a really weird world and it's sort of like faith's um faith's choices always seem to be either she will fight for the side of good or she will align herself with the forces of evil uh, rather mm-hmm. than all the things that actually happened you could you could imagine a slayer going through which would be to what extent do I embrace my destiny and to what extent do I seek my own personal uh, gratification in life? And, you know, and, and, and what does it mean to, to have uh, obligations and, and, and when can you draw the line at these obligations? So Faith shows up in the, and she's just kind of like bad completely when she shows up again until suddenly at the end of the second episode, she decides to do something heroic and then we leave her on that note, like maybe she's maybe there's some good in her, or whatever. But I felt like she she deserved more. I felt. I mean, I, I love those episodes mostly because it's so much fun to watch uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and uh, and Elijah Dish- Dishko basically do impressions of each other mm-hmm. for <laughs> a whole episode, and, and and they do a good job. Both of them do. So that's that's the the main attraction of those episodes. Yeah, I don't I don't love Faith. I think she is sometimes good and sometimes bad. I think, you know, the memo here was I want to do an episode where Faith walks in Buffy's shoes and Buffy walks in Faith's shoes and they both gain an understanding of one another. And like, I think the idea there is that Faith being Buffy, Faith gets some perspective on what her life could be like. And also what Buffy goes through. But this is like a multi-stage rehab process for Faith. And when they send her to L.A., I mean, they're literally sending her to Angel for more character rehab, which continues because they decide they really like Elijah Elijah Dushku and they've sort of ruined the character of faith so they have to spend like many episodes across two different tv shows trying to figure out some ways to bring her back so that she can be usable again i don't know i really liked those two that two-part episodes (laughs) partially because i enjoy the them playing each other so much especially uh sarah michelle Gellar getting to be faith in buffy's body i think is delightful um and the uh, emotional payoff when they have their their fight at the end and faith is 
hitting Buffy in face body and yelling at her and it turns into her yelling at herself is a, a really striking emotional moment that I think works well that and and like really sets her up for kind of her arc on the rest of the series. I think those episodes are okay. I don't I, I like the performances in them. I I I don't know. I have a thing. The body swap episodes, I kind of roll my eyes because like, oh, we're doing one of these, are we? Okay. <laughs> it's an actor showcase. I get it. I get yeah. it. Uh, but the, the, it, it, is, it is trying to give those two diametrically opposed characters some nuance. Like that is kind of the attempt that it's, that it's doing. And that's one of those written and directed by Joss Whedon episodes, that second of the two-parter, where it's sort of like, not only is it an actor showcase, but it is, um, you know, Buffy think about what it's like to be faith and faith think about what it's like to be buffy because neither of you you you've been portrayed as being on the other ends of the spectrum and maybe you have more in common than you think and that that is that's the the best part about that i think yeah i wasn't super hot on either of those episodes yeah. either but i i do uh like the character the bit of character development that tara gets in the second episode where um the fake buffy uh, basically slags her and she doesn't freak out about it. She actually, she's actually the only one who can detect that Buffy is, uh, is not Buffy. And I think, I think that's an interesting bit of development for her. Yeah. I like by the time that Buffy comes back, Willow and Tara are totally with it. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're Buffy and face body. We got it. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Before we go to the episodes, I want to ask about the big bad uh, and the story arc, because that's uh that's the other thing going on here. There is a secret government initiative, to study the Hellmouth and demons and things that's being led by Professor Walsh, who also happens to be Buffy's psychology professor, and her TAs are actually secret army operatives who are working on this in this initiative where they've got the big corporate uh, or, you know, government complex with like uh, cells for demons and stuff. And it leads to a lot of like fun reveals like that the the frat house has the white elevator in it with the voice commands that takes you down to the secret underground bunker. And they're, you know, they've got all of the government's resources. And uh, so that's the big idea here is that what if there was a whole U.S. government slash military strategy about this stuff and it would come into conflict with the more home homegrown uh, magic focused uh, Buffy and the Scooby gang kind of thing. And, and Riley being in the initiative means that Buffy has this relationship with somebody whose sort of worldview is diametrically opposed. Of course, there is always uh, with the, this show, the uh, small, uh, bad, you know, little bad transformation into big bad where mid season uh, uh, professor Walsh is killed uh, she's, I mean, she's literally, she's Frankenstein because she's Dr. Frankenstein. Her monster is Adam. He immediately kills her in the middle of one of her evil speeches, which is a very Joss Whedon kind of touch. And then the second half of the season is sort of other government people coming in. And also this monster hybrid of human and demon and technology named Adam, who is uh, super strong and learning to be super smart, um, who is plotting against them. So that's the that's the uh, the story arc part. How, you know, my impression is that this is not particularly thought of as the best uh, season in terms of villains. How does everybody feel about the initiative and Adam? Well, I mean, but I've, how I feel specifically is about Professor Walsh is that um, I felt like I, I felt very betrayed that they killed her off like that um, because I thought she was going to be the, you know, sort of the evil mastermind throughout the season. And it seemed 
weird and and that Adam wasn't particularly compelling as as the you know Buffy's nemesis right he he wasn't really that smart um but he uh then I you know I, I guess I was googling around a bit and and I read that Lindsay Krauss who played Professor Walsh um also wanted to get out of her contract mm-hmm. in the middle of the season. I mean, I've read different things, you know, about this, but that I mean, she's she's a well-established um actress, Oscar-nominated actress, and uh she you know, has been on a lot of things and I guess she had other things that she wanted to do or who knows, you know, like I didn't find any definitive I mean, they do bring um, her back. As, they bring her as, back as a zombie <laughs> professor for a few yeah. episodes. So obviously, yeah. she they didn't completely jettison her. I don't know. I mean, that is yeah. sort of the pattern of the show is to have that twist where the thing that you think is the big bad is actually not, and there's a bigger bad. Um, but she's disposed of, and and Adam is. I'm just going to say it. Not that interesting. It, he's, he's not, not that interesting. Yeah, I I, I also agree that uh, that losing Walsh mid season is unfortunate because her persona is so, you know, icy and, and I mean, there's like a real undercurrent of menace in everything she does, except for her interactions with uh, Mark Lucas and to some extent Buffy, where she's got almost like a motherly thing going on. And I think that's an interesting uh, contrast. And I also really like what they were starting to do just before she got dispatched uh, in creating some some good friction between Giles and her, and I mm-hmm. think they could have yeah. done a lot of interesting mm-hmm. stuff with that. And then uh, and then all of a sudden she's gone, and we've got Adam. And Adam, frankly, you know, I I really I actually really like the initiative stuff when it's early going, and we're not really sure what they're up to, and there's some sort of creepy project that they're working on, and not everybody that's involved is is necessarily on the up and up, but some right. of them may not be aware of all of the awful things that are going on. And then midway through the season, it turns out that oh, it's oh, it's Frankenstein. Yep. It's basically Frankenstein. Yeah. Frankenstein, and with her dead, they bring in like army men, and yeah. it becomes, I hate to say this, it's kind of like Frankenstein Island at that point. It's a, <laughs> it's a bunch of people wearing wearing like green <laughs> outfits that are plausibly in the military, but you never really find out what branch of the military. It's very like, on behalf of the military, yeah, the whole military, we're going to run this operation, and uh, it just kind of... Uh, yeah, it's it's I get what they're trying to do with Frankenstein, but it's a it's a real letdown, I think. Everybody else I, yeah. I think that the whole initiative um suffers from the problem of you never understand what its scope is and what its true power is. It seems like they have unlimited resources at 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 some point or another, which makes you wonder why they ever felt that Maggie Walsh and uh, Riley and Forrest and all the others had to live a double life to hide their identities. If they actually have a a compound underneath this uh, university that is the size of several warehouses, why don't they just house the people down there? Why do the people have to live double lives? Don't they have enough funding to actually pay them enough to live off the salaries of, of, of being whatever uh, they are in the initiative? I, I don't understand why the, the, why Walsh has a job. Uh, and, and then, you know, 
the, there there is always this problem i feel it's it's like the jurassic park pr- problem the, the, the jurassic world problem where they try to create super dinosaurs to for the military it's like why would the military ever create dinosaurs. something like a, a, adam <laughs> why don't they just make a better gun uh-huh well, you're, you're already you doing know? a pretty good job of changing demon behavior why don't you just keep going with that <laughs> make them into super soldiers i mean they're already pretty super soldiery well, and that's that's the whole thing. I agree. The f- the first part of the season where we don't really know what the initiative is and we get that intrigue like, ooh, the cute little TA aid person is is also in this paramilitary thing. That's interesting. What's happening with that? And then he becomes like this lovesick little puppy and he, he becomes um, I really like Riley, but he becomes this kind of really flat one note character. And I found that so annoying because he was so interesting at first. And then it was like, oh, well, he really likes Buffy. Okay. (laughs) Oh, shucks. You can beat me up, but I like it. That's his character. Yeah. And, um, And I don't know. I just feel like they could have done... I mean, for the number of episodes that they had, they could have done so much more with kind of playing up the mystery and the intrigue, um, kind of lengthening some conflict with Buffy. Like it, it, it just kind of, it just became really flat toward the end. And it was like, oh, okay. I, I think there's a, cool. a simplification that happens here that I do see a lot, of, a lot in TV and, it goes back to what I just said about like we are in the military now, which is this is this is a high concept that doesn't bear up under any scrutiny at all. Like they, <laughs> I get the idea, right? Which is like, oh, it's sort of like James Bond, and there's a lair under the college, and the people you think are just TAs and a professor are actually running this thing. It's like I could see if you added a few layers here, where it's sort of like the military industrial complex, and they got a grant from the military, and now there's like a military overseer who's putting pressure on Maggie Walsh into getting these results. I mean, yes, that's the plot of Real Genius, but go with the classics and uh, I could sort of see it but instead it's sort of like oh no these guys are literally in the army Uh, they're very young to be commanding whole squads of troops um, but apparently they are and okay like it it just it's super simplified to the point where it's kind of ridiculous and I feel like when it's mysterious it works because you can your brain can kind of fill in reasonable details and then when it's all revealed you're like Oh no, that's ridiculous. And it only gets more ridiculous <laughs> where they bring in the general or whatever in the in the latter part of the season where you get all of these ridiculous scenes where it's like we have complete proof that there are demons and vampires and magic and we have here here's a magician and here's here's a uh, here's a, a a woman who's got superpowers like uh look what we've learned instead they're like blah 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 we're just going to, you know, you guys are, are just going to be under arrest and we're going to do our military thing. And it's like, I don't know, it's so broad and kind of ridiculous. And it, it really bugs me. Like, th- this is a cool idea that feels like it just never got sketched out to the point where it, you know, it had the level of detail that it needed to make sense. Yeah, and the conclusion to the arc is just like, oh, here it is. We give up. Everybody dies. There's a big fight. And then <laughs> right. they fill it in with concrete. And it, I mean, it's it's like, abort, abort. <laughs> this is going nowhere. <laughs> we need to get out of this thing. And 
I mean, the good part of it is that they're being obstinate jerks and and Buffy and her team are able to kind of like run through and, uh, you know, be triumphant at the end. And I really I really like the premise of that last episode, which is they have to unite and all of that. But around them, while it's really noisy and big and it's a huge set. It's just nonsense, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and a sure sign of the fact that they're like they're they're pulling the uh, the uh, escape hatch is that uh, the last episode isn't even part of the season arc. It's a setup for the next season. Uh, so you know they didn't have enough enough material to fill one last episode with. I I like that because I feel like that's Joss Whedon doing a like we're going to take a pause at the end of the season instead of ending it right on the last episode we're going to we're going to end it and give ourselves a a kind of fallout from the spell that they cast and also yes absolutely setting the table for the next season sure but it's certainly a departure from what's come before yeah. where everything was like right up until the last episode which tells me they didn't have enough material to go with could be <laughs> I also think they made a mistake or at least missed an opportunity by not having Xander join the initiative at some point with his army man training. Um, I think it didn't help that everybody in the initiative was a big jerk, especially the fact that you had the, the most visible initiative character aside from Riley was his buddy Forrest, who was just there to be antagonistic to Buffy yep. through the entire uh, season. And I I get that that sort of started as a metaphor for the uh, the jealous friend who doesn't like the, the new girlfriend. I felt like that was what they were kind of setting it up at the beginning. Like, he's the guy, you know, he's, he's the boyfriend's friend who doesn't accept yeah. you into the group. You know, let's examine that as a metaphor. But he just ended up becoming this monster by the, I mean, literally, literally. a monster. Yeah. The and the other thing that didn't help was the fact that the initiative guns all look like big soldering uh, irons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some sort of nerf toy. Now, this episode of The Incomparable is also brought to you by another sponsor, ExpressVPN. You might think that nobody wants your online data. Who, who wants my data? Nobody wants to snoop on me. I'm not doing anything. But guess what? When you browse the web, when you use the internet without anything to protect your privacy, you risk all sorts of nasty people, whether it's hackers or or ad companies trying to collect more data on you. And it does happen to people just like us, which is why you should use a VPN like ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or your phone or your tablet. It encrypts all your data. It hides your public IP address. That's the address that's unique to you. So if you are browsing from home, even from home, everybody knows everything that's happening on that IP address. And then you go somewhere else and they know that you've gone somewhere else. Download ExpressVPN's app. You click to connect and that's it. You're protected. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It uses new cutting edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there's no log of what you do online. Costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So you can try it out for yourself. I have used ExpressVPN to keep my IP address away from prying eyes to encrypt my connection when I'm at a cafe with free open Wi-Fi. And, you know, it does make me feel better to know that I'm doing this. Also, uh, if I'm traveling, I can go back to the United States virtually via a VPN connection back to the U.S. and give myself a U.S. IP address, which is pretty great, too. Protect your online privacy and activity today and find out how you can get three months free by going to expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name, that's E-X-P-R-E-S-S, vpn.com slash Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy, expressvpn.com slash Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting 
the incomparable. Well, let's talk about individual episodes. Uh, we'll just roll through the season, and there are a lot of them, but I, I, it's worth stopping and talking about it because in this era of of uh, of twenty two episodes in a season, you get you get a story arc, but you also get standalone episodes, and some of these episodes are um, you know are really notable. So. I, I will uh I'll roll through them and if you want to stop me and talk about them then we'll do that. Let's let's try that. Um first episode is your setup episode and I don't have as much to say about this one. It is the let's set the premise and you know Buffy learning what it's like to be in college and she meets her roommate and she's trying to and it, and it's really just setting the stage for what is to come. I enjoy the angry protesters holding up banners that just say, this must stop. <laughs> mm. Oh, yes, that was a nice touch. College, what you going to do? That's what happens. Uh. And I also really like the design of the UC Sunny D logo, which is uh-huh. a UC, a sun, and a D. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, and uh, free orange juice for everyone. Well, it can't be UCSD because that's for San Diego, Steve. Yeah, that's been done. Yeah. Yeah. Although, Again, I will point out that the names of the dorms are all UC Santa Cruz. Uh, dorms. So I think they, they were just doing some mixing up and there was probably somebody on staff who went to UC Santa Cruz. That's my guess. Probably. Um, living conditions. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say uh, the, the same thing I said pre- previously, which is it's it's fun to have Willow in her element and Buffy overwhelmed, but it seems out of character for her. seems out of character. She doesn't lean on Willow and Oz for help, which you'd think she would have learned by now. But ultimately, I think pretty satisfying. A nice little standalone welcome to college episode. Uh, episode two, I really love. And it mm-hmm. is the roommate episode living conditions and it is to me it's like an archetypal buffy episode it is it is the metaphor which is you hate your roommate and you want to kill your roommate because your roommate is a monster taken and made real except the beauty of it is that we don't really know that whether her roommate kathy who plays share endlessly is a monster <laughs> or just a metaphorical monster um and there are demons around and and that that's a a misdirect as well because it turns out they're looking for Kathy and they're not looking to kill Buffy, which is what we're led to believe. And the only I like it a lot. The only criticism I have about it is that it kind of ends this way, but the way I really wanted it to end is that it turns out that that Buffy really is the monster at the end. That Kathy is not a monster and Buffy has just gotten increasingly paranoid. But instead, it's like Kathy's the demon, but Buffy's the monster, which is still pretty good. Um, <laughs> and and I, I just I feel like this is exactly what a college episode of Buffy is supposed to be: is is take an element and then use the horror tropes to kind of expand upon it. We've all had that roommate, right? <laughs> she writes her name on the milk. <laughs> Yeah. This is also one of my Every favorites. Of she gets the, the stuff on the sweater. Oh, the slow motion and it ends with <laughs> with Willow moving in and Willow doing something to offend Buffy and we get the playback of the horror movie slow motion into into Buffy. So funny. Yeah. No, I, I think this is great. It captures a key element of the college experience. And Kathy, the roommate, is hilariously awful. And it's such a good performance. She's she's perky, she's bouncy, but she's very judgmental. She's, uh, you know, passive she's very passive-aggressive. Passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's also sucking Buffy's soul out at night, so there is that. Um, I also like there's a nice little uh, Easter egg for horror nerds in here. Um, one of the novels on Kathy's shelf, uh, which is helpfully labeled Novels, is uh, <laughs> Robert R. McCammon's book Stinger, which is about an alien that comes to Earth and is being bounty hunted by another alien, which is hmm. effectively the plot of this of this episode, so... I don't know if that was intentional or not, but uh, I was like, oh, look, it's Stinger. Hey, I get it. 
So, nice. you know, good job, whoever you were, you gigantic nerd. <laughs> this isn't the one where we f- we finally get to see what Giles is up to. We saw that in the first episode, right? I think maybe it is in this. Because it actually was in this episode. I I, yeah. I, I think that, that, that they go to Giles's uh, swinging bachelor pad. And the one thing I would say about that is I love the fact that they are playing uh, David Bowie's uh, Memories of a Free Festival because that's one of my favorite songs off of Space Oddity. <laughs> I, actually, you know, come to think of it, it is the first episode because oh, she's, first episode. she's overwhelmed okay. and she comes to him for oh, help. Oh, that's and he's, right. That's right. He's Sorry. checked out because he's doing his own thing. I love that Giles is is just casting about for what to do. And they, when they go to him, it feels weird because that's the old, like, I'm going to go back and see my high school teacher kind of thing a little bit that they're playing with there, which is like, our relationship has changed and this is kind of awkward and where do you fit in my life now? And, you know, he doesn't have a job anymore and doesn't know what he's going to do. And it's, uh, it's I, I love Giles and I love how awkward he is and he gets his own episode in a little bit. That's great. Also, maybe it's best if you don't come in without knocking anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> And later we learn that he's a rock star, so, yeah. you know. It's true. It's just a spike comes back in the harsh light of day um, for a magical gem. And uh, and at the end, uh, Buffy uh, sends it to Angel. <laughs> because we should mention, Angel is a TV show, and... It's also airing on the same night, and therefore there are lots of connections. Steve, you watched Buffy and Angel simultaneously when you were doing this watch, right? I did, yeah. I got halfway through uh, Buffy, and then one night uh, I noticed, oh, look, Angel's on Hulu. Hey, I should watch one episode of that just to see what it's about. And I got through that, and I was like, oh, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, (laughs) And I unwisely went out on the internet and discovered that there was a a correct order in which you should watch mm. these things in order to properly appreciate all the various crossovers and references. And I was sunk at that point and I had to watch the whole season and inter- intersperse it with Buffy episodes. So, but I'm glad I did. I, I'm not sure I'll do that again because it was a lot, but mm-hmm. uh, there, th- some of the payoffs of the episodes that start here and end in angel are really, really nice. And there are several nice episodes in angel. So it's, yeah. uh, it's, it was good. Yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a good show. Even the first season of Angel is pretty good. Um, all right. Fear itself is the Halloween frat party episode where there's a demon that is uh, eating people's fears. I like this one. Yeah. I always like the Halloween episodes. They're a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. This is a fun little monster of the week episode, which I always love. Uh, I realized this season that part of the reason I love the monster of the week episodes is because when they're not doing the season arc, there's less of a chance that somebody's going to crap all over Buffy and make her feel horrible or any of the other characters as they're, you know, they're continuing uh, life journeys continue. So it's nice to have these little respites from concern that, you know, something terrible is going to happen to the characters. <laughs> and this is, this one's fun. And the line, don't taunt the fear demon. It's just tacky is one of my all time <laughs> favorites. <laughs> and the, the, the horrible, uh, demon that they're summoning is like the it's like a spinal tap stonehenge joke it turns out yes. that he's actual size and he's only a few inches tall it's a good joke also Funny. giles's poncho and sombrero ensemble <laughs> though probably yeah. incredibly offensive is amazing yep. uh and that giles with the with the chainsaw <laughs> like that was a great totally unexpected move <laughs> we have to make a door you can make a door Yes. <laughs> hey, 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 very, hey. very deep down between Giles, behind Giles is still Ripper. So, you yep. know, he's got those elements. Yeah, this is the season where they really let Giles be hot 
And Nero's like, okay, thank you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Now that they're, uh, now that, that his charges are out of high school, I guess it's uh, all, it's all able to be on display. Um, episode five is beer bad, which Ugh. as Ugh. I said is, I bad. like the premise and it's one of the worst episodes of the show. It's just bad. Yeah. It's straight up dumb. <laughs> yeah. When I, when I was a little kid, um, I would come out of the shower and my long blonde hair would be all scraggly and it would look like Buffy's hair in this episode. And my mom would look at me and go, beer bad. And I would say it back. <laughs> and then, like, as an adult, I learned where this came from. And I was like, mom, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's very bad. It's a bad episode. Very yeah, it's funny. dismal. And, and interspersed through all of this is Buffy mooning after Parker, which mm-hmm. just makes it even worse. Uh-huh. She's way too hung up on this guy. Episode six is Wild at Heart. We've talked about it. This is the uh, Oz um, write-out episode where he meets Veruca, who uh, is uh, is a sort of, I guess, werewolf rights activist, kind of. And, <laughs> you know, they do the uh, werewolf coupling thing, and uh, and then he leaves in his van. They do. Yeah. Really travels the world, and I don't... It, uh, mm. He get he apparently got further than Xander did. Uh, yeah, they do actually introduce trip. Veruca in the previous episode, so there's there is a slight two parter here. Yeah, but, wait, um, yeah, I mean he walks past her and they exchange a look. Well, I think that the oh, you may be right. It may only be that, but I thought the the opening. No, I guess the first the first concert with Veruca is in this one too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a very compact. Oz is going to leave now. Uh, episode. Um, yeah. There, are, I, I think the ending is a really good tearjerker scene. I think it's well acted. I think the scene where Willow finds Oz and Veruca asleep naked in the morning while she's happily bringing him coffee is really rough yep. and painful and therefore pretty good. Uh, on the downside, the werewolf costumes do not look very good in life. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> uh, episode seven is the initiative. This is the one that I mentioned earlier is the we get... Um, Riley Riley finds Buffy peculiar. He's he's realizes that he's uh, into her. Uh, we get the twist where we discover that uh, that Riley is part of this uh, commando group, and they've got this whole James Bond lair. Um, Spike uh, is being held in the initiative, and although he escapes, um, there's some good jokes with Harmony where he goes back to where Harmony is and tries to keep thinking of things to call her. Um, in uh, Italian, yeah, that's it. Sure, Italian. That's what it is. It's, it's actually French. And uh, and uh, this is uh, Spike discovers also that he can't hurt people in an extended scene with Willow, where she says, "No, no, no, <laughs> it happens to all, all the guys. It's okay. Yeah. Maybe we can try again in half an hour." And then she realizes that's she's been speaking in this metaphor, and she needs to hit him over the head with a vase and run out. But. Uh, uh, I, I enjoyed this episode and it was one of those episodes that reminded me, oh, this show's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, I love how compassionate Willow is, even though, you know, like, it's one of the things, <laughs> I think it's one of her best character traits, even though it's like completely ridiculous watching this scene with Spike play out. But it's like, oh, Willow, you were just, you were... Yeah. Such a sweet Contextually, human. Contextually, she's trying to encourage him. Although Spike gives it back to her, right? Where he's just like, oh, no, I would totally bite you. And he's like, you know, remember last year where you were wearing that sweater? And was, she's like, really? That thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I kind of wanted to bite you. <laughs> it's great. 
The next episode is the Thanksgiving episode where uh. Xander's penis gets mm. diseases from the Shumash tribe. <laughs> <laughs> as the song lyric goes that we'll hear in a couple of seasons. And uh, this is, I think, this is one of my least favorite episodes. It's awful. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. 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 This is it's- also, this is the angels around, but you never see him episode. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. We do get some good Spike content in this episode. Mm-hmm. That I will say, Spike tied to the chair, trying to get around the arrows that are flying at him. That's almost worth the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's great. No, he's he has several arrows sticking out of him at several at, at that point, and uh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Yeah, it's just it's kind of preachy and confused, and the you know the Shumash spirit is probably not the you know the most politically correct thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I enjoy Spike as the voice of reason. I think he's pretty great there. <laughs> and him hopping around in his chair with arrows sticking through him is also great. But yeah, it's this, this and Beer Bad are the low points for me. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's another one, I think, coming, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, Something Blue is next, which is a wacky episode where Willow casts a spell and everything is zany and wacky after that. And demons want to get Xander. Buffy and Spike fall in love and are going to get married. And then Willow has to figure out what to do to solve it. So it's uh, I I remember this. I remember watching this episode when it aired and thinking, oh, okay, it's going to it's going to be a one of those broad comedy episodes, isn't it? Which is fine. It's fine. It's fine. And uh, Buffy and Spike, you know, that's uh, they, they uh, it's kind of interesting to, to have them be planning their their wedding. It's it's uh, it's it's fun. Yeah. yeah interesting. Giles's reaction to them suddenly being engaged is very, very good. And then he's he's like he just no one can understand what is possibly happening um and everything else they're like you know giles is going blind and their demons coming after xander and like something seems to be afoot and they turn around and buffy and spike are together and they're like oh my god we're in another dimension we've been (laughs) cursed what's happening i do it's it's not a great episode but i do enjoy it just for the i mean the actors play it over the top too which i think helps it rather than hurts it because it's it's almost kind of like a yeah we know this is kind of ridiculous and just go with it and i appreciate that yeah this is a let the actors have some fun episode yeah i don't think there's much else to it to be honest it's not not one of my favorites but the giles moments are great it's all right i i have more scotch is a great line from him (laughs) And Pangs is sort of a comedy episode, too, for the most part. So having two in a row, I think, maybe is part of the problem for Mm -hmm. me. But, yeah. But uh, it's all leading up to Hush, uh, episode 10, where the gentlemen come to town and they steal the voices. This is the episode where, for a long amount of the runtime, there's no dialogue because nobody in town can speak. This is one of those uh, showpiece episodes written and directed by Joss Whedon where he wants to have his characters act. Uh, his actors get to act without dialogue. There are lots of funny moments, including the one where Buffy mimes stabbing somebody with a with a stake that is taken wrong. Um, Giles mm-hmm. has his own soundtrack for his overhead projection presentation, which is Dance Macabre <laughs> on a record player. I think that's really a nice touch on Giles's part, and he's he's definitely choreographed his presentation. Um, the uh, this is uh, I, I will I will say the gentlemen are kind of a ripoff of Dark City, but um, but I think this is one of the best episodes of the whole series. It's genuinely terrifying. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is 100% the best episode of the series that I have seen so far. Um, it manages to be both a really great Monster of the Week episode, probably the best Monster of the Week episode I've seen. And at the same time, it does a really good job of furthering the season arc um, yeah. by both getting Buffy and Riley to finally kiss now that those ridiculous words are out of the way. <laughs> Uh, and also making them aware of each other's extracurricular activities mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, there's a lot packed in here. This is really the introduction of Tara, too. And, and at the same time, the, the scene where they clasp hands and make the, uh, the vending machine move. I mean, that's amazing stuff. Um, I, I've never seen Dark City, so I'll have to take your word for it. But I think the monster design is great. It here. is. It is. It's a classic. It's, it's, it's great. It's just, it is, I remember seeing it the first time and being like, eh, that's kind of a, it's at least inspired by it, but they're great monsters. And then they've got their, uh, you know, their guys in their straight jackets who are like their, uh, their lackeys that is, right. so it's a two tiered kind of monster system. And these guys float along with their big grins. I always, I always thought that the lackeys were sort of like, um, bargain rate Cenobites. They, they, <laughs> they, they, yeah. I, I, I didn't quite feel like they, they, like they ever were given much to do other than, get kicked around by Buffy so uh, I could have done without them but I, I do agree this is one of the best episodes uh, of, of Buffy simply because it tries something completely different and, and and succeeds it tries to be scary in a way that Buffy doesn't normally try to be scary and that that's that's quite surprising however it isn't even my favorite episode of the series so I think that this episode, like, it's scary in a way that I don't think any other episode reaches um, some of the scariest moments of this. And it still managed to have some scenes that are laugh out loud funny and those beautiful character beats that we've already talked about. So this is one of the top episodes of the series for me, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I could do without the lackeys myself. But yeah, the rictus grin on the, the gentleman and the way that they move just hovering a few inches of the, of the ground combined with like their flamboyant gestures to each other and their sort of smiling nods. And it's like, oh, yes, well done. Yeah. You really tore that heart out. Very, very lovely. Doug Jones um, still lists this on his like on his Twitter feed as one of the characters that he's played. And keep in mind, he was in a He was the fish guy in The Shape of Water that won an Oscar and he's Saru in Star Trek Discovery. But I I do think this is, and you can you can tell which one is Doug Jones and he is a v- incredibly talented physical actor. And even in all that makeup, those long arms and the long fingers and all of the gestures they do with their hands, it's it's super creepy. It's uh, It really lets you, you know, like they're a consistent character, these gentlemen, and you know how they work and they're unearthly and they're, and the scenes where people, there's a scene where that guy is getting his heart cut out and he's trying to scream for help. People try to call for help and you realize all these ways that you can't, you know, if you can't talk, you, if you can't make noise, nobody can hear that like just next door, something horrible is going on. It's horrifying. Yeah, it's such a great nightmare scenario to 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 not be able to scream for help while the gentlemen slowly carve out your heart with their little yeah. knives. <laughs> and it's, I mean, I, I certainly have had that nightmare where something terrible is happening, you know, spiders are crawling towards you and you're, you've suddenly lost your voice and the people a few feet from you can't, uh, there's no way you can call out for help. So it really plays on that nicely. The only thing I wish they hadn't done was the bit where they have Lindsay Krauss using her text-to-speech. Because yeah. it, it breaks that wonderful immersion where no one's talking, even though it's kind of weird to have the sort of robotic voice sneak in there. It's uh, it's it just kind of wrecks it for me a little bit, but it it gets right back to it. And at the end, you get one of those classic Buffy moments of the metaphor being 
hit home, which is when they can finally talk again. And and Buffy and Riley, who have now had it revealed that they're both fighting monsters professionally, um, they look at each other and Riley says, we need to talk. And Buffy, there's a long pause. And Buffy says, yeah, I guess we need to talk. And then they look at each other and they can't think what to say. And it's just silent. Even though they can talk, they don't have anything to say. And it's one For of those like moments of like, seconds. it's beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's genius. It's absolute genius. Definitely the best episode I've seen. I also really like the bit where they're having their little lecture and uh, Giles asks, what did the gentleman want? Willow points at her heart and Xander silently mouths, boobies. boobies? Yes. <laughs> and they all roll their eyes at him. It's so good. Because he's Xander. That scene, that may be my single favorite scene in the entire series, is that scene where they're there in the lecture hall and Giles has got his music and he's explaining <laughs> what's going on because it's silly. It advances the plot. It's dramatic. It's just all of those things at once. It's great. Okay, the next episode, but it's a hard act to follow. The next episode is Doomed, in which uh, there's an earthquake, the Hellmouth may be opening, and uh, they get to go back to the ruins of Sunnydale High. Jason, it's your favorite thing. A character denying herself joy just because she might hurt somebody. Oh, good. Yeah, I love, love that. That's one of my favorite things from those Spider-Man movies. Mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> it's just as good here for an entire hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one doesn't even register for me. Wow. Well, this is the one where it ends up that Spike can fight demons, which, again, I wish they'd done more with that. That is a great moment where he's like, oh, I, finally something I can do, some violence I can do. I can kill these demons. And right. I love that because it just shows how much Spike likes being evil. And yeah. What's well, not even evil? He likes, that. he likes, you know, fighting stuff and doing violence, right? So it's like, oh, these are demons. They're bad, but... That's fine. I'll kill them. That's that works for me. I think that's an outlet, but he's always so bitter still that he can't harm. It's true. You know, Buffy and the gang. I think that it it kind of like takes the edge off, but it's not not quite the same. It's like a nicotine patch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So the next episode is one that I really love, which is a new man. We get Ethan Rain back. He's back to his mischief. And Ethan Rain, the hairy mud of the Buffyverse. <laughs> he, is, he is. That's about right. That's about right. It's Robin Sachs. And uh, and he. Uh, re- this is the episode where we get the Giles doesn't know what his place is. He goes to Buffy's birthday party. There's that whole like, uh, you know, wow, no, Dr. Walsh wouldn't come. She's like 40. She's super old. Why would she be here? And Giles is standing right there. Here you go, sir. Here's your drink or here's your cake, sir. And so he's like, what? what am I doing with my life? And he goes out and, and Ethan Rain is there and they end up like talking and they end up drinking. And then he wakes up in the morning and he's been transformed into a demon. He smashes all the things in his house because he's super strong. He goes to Xander, um, but he's not speaking English. He's speaking the Fjarl, you know, demon language. And it is, and there, there's like, and Spike finally understands him and drives him around. He sees Maggie Walsh and goes out and scares her and then gets back in the car, which is a very funny moment. Uh, yeah. They, they what they discover that the demon has stolen Giles's car, and Anya comments, um, "Why would anyone steal that car?" Which is great. <laughs> it is. I, I just I love this whole episode because this is the this is like the Zeppo except with Giles, and uh, it yeah it makes me laugh. I, I think it's uh, really great. It's like the poor again. It's Giles feeling like he doesn't fit in, and so then he literally doesn't fit in. Which you know again, that's what the show is for me. I love it. Yeah, this one's also on my best of list. Um, I I I really enjoy Anthony Head. Any any opportunity to spend more time with him, I, I will take. Um, 
even though, you know, I saw Ethan Rain and I groaned because these episodes are all kind of kind of the same episode. Ethan Rain shows up, works some mischief. They solve it at the end. But uh, he says in this one, like, oh, you know, it's not the doing. It's the going back to gloat that get, always gets me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he knows he's a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah, I love the moment. Well, I, first of all, I love the the uh, interaction in this between uh, Walsh and Giles, where she just eviscerates him. He's trying to be nice and find out where Buffy is, and she just completely takes him apart. And uh, and then to have him chase her down just to scare her, he forces, <laughs> he yells at Spike to pull over, and then he runs at her with his hands waving in the air, uh, just just to, just to be vindictive. It makes me laugh. But I and and especially the whole thing of Spike and Giles basically being in a buddy comedy is is fantastic i could watch that for an entire season i think next up is the two-parter in the middle of the season this is where um walsh decides that they're gonna they're she's gonna basically set a trap for buffy and kill her and she goes so far she's so confident that she breaks it to riley that she's dead when she's not dead and she appears on the monitor and it's like she's gone on you know she's full on mad villain now and she gives her big speech and is then impaled by adam her creation and uh in part two we discover you know riley's kind of walked out of the initiative but they've been drugging all the guys in the initiative and doing kind of like mind control and uh and this is this is kind of kicking it into gear for the second half of the season and this this two-parter in here this is where things get really mushy with the initiative um and i start being like oh my god what's going on now because i get you got you have this intrigue and you have the conflict set up with with walsh and buffy and that's all really interesting good and then then suddenly walsh is murdered and you're like oh my god what's happening now and and they've all been drugged and we need to get Riley, I guess, but also he's having a breakdown. And w- what is the initiative still a thing now? Because didn't they just try to kill Buffy? But for some reason, we're all kind of chill with that. Like, what is what's the, happening here? And I feel like they never quite find the balance again. I, I feel like what they hoped, what what Whedon hoped certainly was to subvert expectations, which is why we have uh maggie walsh get killed in the middle of her evil genius speech and suddenly we have a new a new villain and i i feel like what they were going for was sort of a radical reimagining of the series arc that they that you thought it was the initiative all along but now here comes adam uh but it feels very sloppy uh, from a viewing standpoint yeah. especially if you've seen the season and you kind of know what goes what goes on what i registered was like oh my god it's the 13th episode and now they're they're introducing adam and uh, i mean they've made hints about this ahead of time and but 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 suddenly you know it it feels messy and the the biggest problem with adam is he's just not interesting you know he he, he, <laughs> he, he doesn't even from, look good he looks from, really from dumb point, no yeah he's supposed to be what if frankenstein's monster were a genius but he and never really actually work. comes <laughs> but, yeah, right but he never comes across as a genius no. you know his, his thing is he sits there and he says i've been thinking about and like yeah. It'd be like about indoor plumbing. Occasionally, or... he sticks in a floppy disk and learns some stuff. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> he, nice he has that drive. Yeah. 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 So it, it just feels uneven. Yeah. There, there's some good in this episode. Actually, I, when I think about it, I, I like where they're going with this episode right up until the very last scene. 
Um, there's some nice uh, advancement of the relationship between Tara and Willow that happens here. Uh, there's some 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 real nice amping up of Walsh, uh, who you know you've all already gotten kind of a sinister feel from, but then you get the scene where she's watching Buffy and Riley uh, on camera as they as they uh, make out, which is very disturbing. And then of course she she feels she has to send Buffy out to get killed. Um, so you know that's it, they're really doing a nice job of building up Walsh to be to be the big bad. Um, and I also really love the, the, the pissed off message that Buffy has for Walsh on the monitor. They don't do the thing where they drag out, uh, Riley, you know, thinking that Buffy is, has, uh, has gone bad for three episodes. Right. They have him discover right in this episode. Oh, it turns out that Walsh sent her out to be killed, uh, which is good. I'm glad they avoid at least one threes company type thing this season. Um, but yeah, it's it just as Walsh is starting to get really meaty and interesting, Adam's awake, he stabs her, she's dead. It's, and it's a great twist. The problem is that what they inadvertently have done is kill off an interesting character and replace yeah. her with someone who's boring. Well, and is it a great twist at this time? I feel I feel like that uh, I it would love, be more of a twist to not have a mid-season turnabout. Yeah, well, I guess so. <laughs> after I, three I love seasons that moment it. that she is impaled and dead in the middle of this big moment of like, yes, I am the big bad. I've been the big bad all along. Oh, and then she's dead. Like, that's a great moment. Right. But that moment leads to not good developments after that. Like, it's, yeah. she was better, better to forego that moment and keep Maggie Walsh around. It's funny too that she's actually the second one to declare herself the big bad after after uh, Spike did it in a very early episode, <laughs> and then was very quickly dispatched by the initiative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems that, to be a theme. It's never Spike. <laughs> uh, next is the two parter that we already talked about a bit, which is the uh, the Elijah Dushku two parter. This year's girl and who are you? Where uh, Faith shows up, she wants revenge. She switches bodies with Buffy. Um, Faith. In, Bu in Buffy's body has sex with Riley, which is um, super awkward and not healthy for their relationship. And uh, in the end, Faith is handed over to Angel, basically. Uh, she goes to L.A. to be on Angel. Anything more to say about this one? It was good to see the mayor again. <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good. In a, in a later episode, we get to see a dream version of Principal Snyder. And I was very happy with that too, as Principal Snyder, as Marlon Brando from Apocalypse <laughs> Now. And it was, again, it's nice. It's like, yay, we get to see, we get to see these actors who they got killed off, but they can it's live fun on to see them again. Yeah. Yeah. As I mentioned before, I didn't love this two-parter. I, I actually think though that the follow-on episode on Angel is really good. I think that's a pretty strong episode. Um, so ultimately, I think this storyline ends in an interesting way. And is that but, the one uh, where she ends up going to jail? She does. Yeah. She turns herself in at the end. Yep. Yeah, and we'll never she, but, see but, her again. But again, as John <laughs> mentions, the evil switch suddenly turns from on to off yeah. in, in one scene. And then she's decided she's good again. Remorse. So, you know, the, there is kind of a, a black and white to her to her character as, as there is in a lot of characters in the show. But ultimately, I think her arc uh, ends up pretty good on that. Unfortunately, not on this show. I, 
Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, the Wish episode where Cordelia wishes for Manya that uh, Buffy never came to town and and the Doppelgangland episode, these parallel world kind of episodes. And that's why I really enjoy Superstar, where Jonathan, who's been in the background a lot over the course of many years, and we last saw him up in a bell tower contemplating uh, killing himself, here has used magic to convince everybody that he is the greatest person who ever lived. There's a lot of James Bond music that goes on in here. There's There's some great setup where uh, Buffy is trying to do normal Buffy stuff and then they finally are stymied and they realize they need to go to get help from him. And it's Jonathan who everybody everybody loves. And it turns out that uh, very slowly as uh, you know, we get the realizations that everybody has that it is not uh, supposed to be this way, but it takes time for everybody to work it out and for really for Buffy to become confident enough in her own opinions for uh, everybody else to believe that Buffy might actually know what she's doing. And uh, I I enjoy this episode just because it's so weird because everybody is just uh, everybody loves Jonathan. He's the best. I love this because they had to sit down in the writer's room and make a list of every single way someone could be famous or successful. And then they managed to work all of them into the 40 minute episode referring to Jonathan. He's written a book. He has an album. He's got he's won every award under the sun. He has a swimsuit calendar. Oh, yeah, of course. Everybody's everybody's got a Giles has got one, but it was a gift. And and he's the best monster slayer and everybody needs his help. Yeah. Could you imagine if this was done today, like this social media influencer walking down the street, asking for selfies? Um, I, I love this. I, I know it's not, again, I know it's not a good episode, but I really love this episode. I think episode it's a good episode. I think it's, it's very fun. It's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I like Jonathan. I think that he's one of those little background characters. I, I like that he comes back and that we get to see kind of someone who's watched all of this happen and is off to the side kind of be plucked up and into a more prominent role for an episode or two. I like it. It's a good episode, but there is one thing that, that I always wonder about, which is at the very end of the episode, uh, as things are turning back to normal, Buffy goes over to Jonathan and Jonathan says, people still remember what was, what happened. And I was thinking, yeah, well, it's one thing for Buffy and Xander and the crew to remember what happened, but Jonathan also was sleeping with two women under false pretenses. And what, what, what are they thinking right now? Yeah. Yeah. And the idea here is that she, she's, she, I like how she explains at the end, like, it's not just about that. It's like you, you were manipulating all of these people and it sounds like everybody will forget over time, but it wasn't a parallel universe and it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. I, I think the show actually goes right up to that line and is like, yeah, let's not get into this too much because it, it gets grosser the more we think about exactly what he was doing here. <laughs> I get the sense, though, I think one of the one of the impressions I got is like he got swept away in it, too. Um, like like it, it really like the whole world changed around him. But, you know, the fact is, yeah, he was changing everybody in the world for his own benefit. Still, it's if you don't think about it too much, it's a pretty funny episode. <laughs> You know, I really loved the splicing him into the credits sequence, (laughs) and I enjoyed about the first 10 minutes, and then the same joke kind of got a little old Mm. for me. (laughs) I really wish I enjoyed this episode more. It seems like one that would be up my alley, but it just, it was kind of the same note played over and over again for an hour, and uh, I I got bored with it. I think that's part of why I like it, though, is because it's so incredibly over the top. Mm -hmm. 
Well, like the, there's that moment where the initiative, the general is like, all right, and we brought in a, a consultant here. And then yeah. <laughs> and then Jonathan, who is like a good two and a half feet shorter than the general, steps in with his little little uh, uh, rolled up piece of paper showing Adam's biocircuitry and all of that and gives his little thing. And it's like it's it's the like uh, like the background of the Zeppo. It's like um, a b- standard Buffy plot except with this totally weird thing overlaid on it. And I, I appreciate that, but I, I can see what you're saying, Steve. It is, it is like, Hey, Jonathan is great. And we get that a lot, but I liked it because it's just such a spin. It's a Buffy episode with this whole other weird thing on top. So the next episode is where the wild things are. This is the episode you may remember is the episode where Buffy and Riley have sex a lot. This episode is, and uh, then other people are doing other stuff and they have to they have to stop Buffy and Riley from having sex a lot so that they can save the day Um, I would put this on the list of the really lousy episodes of this season I hate this episode (laughs) it's poltergeist powered by sexy times (laughs) what a great idea for an episode Uh, it's not too different from the Halloween episode you know just people are lost in this house and can't get what they you know, things are threatening them and they can't get Buffy and Riley to help them. This episode is built on the premise that the sort of like ghost events that are happening were were triggered by Buffy and Riley having so much sex, which is leads us to believe that no couple has ever really gotten it on on this frat house before. <laughs> and that's, no, that's just not true. Yeah, it's not a very good frat. <laughs> Maybe yeah. This, bad things come from sex seems to be a definite theme of this entire show, and this is just maybe a little too on the nose for me. Uh, I do think there's a nice moment here between Anya and Spike that I enjoy, but that's kind of the only high point of this episode. Yeah, and sorry to writer Tracy Forbes who wrote this episode and Beer Bad. I'm not sorry. Um, yeah, I did like the Giles playing behind Blue Eyes, though. That is oh, that is yeah. good. Mus- I forgot that was in this episode. <laughs> musical musical Giles is really good. We're going to get one more musical Giles. Um, yeah, yeah. they noticed I, Anthony Stewart Head could sing in this season. They were like, hey, you want to do that a few more times? I was hey. like, is there an album that he released? And maybe they were like trying <laughs> to know. promote it did for somebody, him? Like, did somebody finally happening? realize that he's the brother of uh, Murray Head who did One Night in Bangkok? And they thought, is he really? Yeah. How did I not know that? Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> Murray uh, Head can't sing though. He can speak. <laughs> yeah, but but Tony Head can. That's the beauty of it. Apparently so. Murray Head can sing. He was uh he was uh Judas Iscariot in uh oh. the original Jesus Christ Superstar. He just doesn't sing in one night in Bangkok. He, he can't right. sing in Bangkok apparently. Yeah. <laughs> just for that one night. <laughs> yeah. It it happens. Um New Moon Rising is next. Uh, this is Oz comes back and uh, now he loses control because he's jealous of Tara and Willow's relationship. This hate episode it. is dead to me. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I just hate it. Yeah, we I mean, we've already talked about this a bit and it is it is bad. <laughs> but I bad. there is a nice scene between uh, Willow and Buffy um, when Willow basically comes out to Buffy and she doesn't know how to handle it for a minute. And then you you watch her collect herself and like come back to reality and to her friend and be like no of course i support you and and be with the person that you love and everything and i I think that's a nice scene yeah one of the things that i really don't like here is that we've already seen uh oz 
have to experience Willow being with somebody else with Xander previously. And that particular uh, bit of jealousy didn't send him over the edge. So there's an implication here that's certainly never stated that maybe the fact that she's in a lesbian relationship is what's making him freak out. And I, I think that's a major betrayal of the character if that is, in fact, the subtext that they're trying to get at. I, I'm not sure it is, but the fact that they've they've written it this way and, and they've come up with this stupid contrivance where jealousy supposedly is what makes him angry now uh, kind of gives you that impression. And I, I it it Also, he's the one who me. werewolf mated with Veruca. He doesn't get to be jealous, <laughs> which is it's Assassination of Oz's good character, which is, uh, yeah. Bugs. Well, and that's the thing. He's 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 always been the laid back, you know, get along guy, and it's it's just such a complete reversal. I think they would have been better off just not bringing him back. Not bringing him back. Yeah. He rode off into the sunset in his van. He's somewhere in. He's fighting crime. Tibet. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, that leads us to the sort of two-part finale that is not actually the end of the season. I, maybe this says something about how Joss Whedon felt about the story arc, that he leaves others to write and direct these episodes, and he saves the last episode for himself, which is not about the story arc. Um, but this is the Yoko Factor in Primeval, in which um, Spike, in order to try and bargain with Adam to get his, his chip removed that is preventing him from attacking humans, uh, basically uses his knowledge of Buffy and her friends to work against them and separate them, which, uh, which he does effectively. And then in the next episode, they basically, um, they come back together. They realize Spike has been manipulating them. And then they cast a spell that puts all of the powers and knowledge of Buffy and Willow and Xander and Giles together using the power of the Slayer in Buffy's body. So that basically the idea there is that um, they've been separated, but if they work together, in this case, literally together embodied in Buffy, they can defeat Adam. Um, so this is the big, uh, this is the big uh, climax. And, and yeah, in the end, what happens is that um, Buffy rips Adam's your little uranium heart out. And that's the end of, uh, of Adam. So how did people feel about the climax of the, of the season storyline here. Oh, an angel comes back <laughs> again. <laughs> well, I like the little matrix. See, um, where she stops you know, the bullets and stuff, where she stops the bullets. Yeah, it's magic, she man. Turns it's great. The, yeah. She turns that one, that one missile into doves. I, 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 I think that those are beautiful, uh, sequences. As far as the video goes, I had the same problem that I have sort of with, when, when, when magic gets brought in, you, you, you start to lose sense of what the stakes are, because at this point, it seems like Buffy is effectively a god. Um, so I'm not sure what it means anymore, but I mean, it was fun to watch. I like that scene in particular. I think the whole kind of setup of it is a bit anticlimactic and not totally clear. Mm. And I do that with... Angel coming back and a scene with between him and Riley, I can't stand. And I think that if we couldn't tell before by how threatened Riley was by Buffy and now, now you see like this incredibly toxic jealousy for no real reason. And it it's gross. Yeah, I the biggest problem I have with this two parter is that um, Spike, his plan to get them all angry at each other works through a series of threes company isms. Mm hmm. <laughs> Where, you know, if anybody spent a fraction of a second to just ask somebody, you know, oh, did you really do that? Yep. <laughs> it would never have worked. And and that it's happened a lot in this season, um, but it's particularly lame as a, as a kind of a climactic thing. 
Um, and it's it's just so absurd that this sort of a tactic would work on them after all they've already been through together. Uh, I'm fairly certain they've all been angry at each other for these sorts of reasons before. So you would think they would take a moment <laughs> and realize that they were being set up. Um, so that doesn't work for me. I, I will say that the final showdown between the demons and the soldiers in the bunker looks really good for this show. Uh, I think they saved up some budget. For sure. I mean, it's mostly just close-ups on smoke and sparks and stuff, but it's it's well-filmed and well-edited, and it's suitably chaotic that it looks like there's a much bigger battle going on. And I think that all works pretty well. So as a kind of a, a um, you know, trapped in the bunker as, you know, things are descending on you uh, scenario is it's really good. Yeah, I mean, I like the metaphor, like I said, of them joining together at the end, but it's also kind of clear that this is, you know, it's rigged to be this way and not necessarily the most artfully of like, I want to tell a story where our characters are separated and then they come back together and cast a spell where they all are are embodied in Buffy and have this incredible power when they're all working together. It's like, okay, it works as an outline. And then when you get to it, it is a series of miscommunications or lack of communications that lead to it. Although I do enjoy that this is a way that Spike is able to be a an antagonist for them is yeah. in words and manipulation instead of trying to bite them. Right. This is also where we get the closure of this nameless government official decreeing that we are going to fill in the entire uh, <laughs> <laughs> the entire space of the initiative with concrete. And aside from that being an absurd thing to think about, that, that, there, that there would probably have to be, you know, several million cubic uh, feet of, of concrete brought to this place and these concrete mixtures just sitting there shoveling stuff into the ground for several days. That would be very hard to explain. Uh, I just, I just, just also, it, it raises all these questions about who is this guy and why does he speak with his authority and how is he operating as a rogue element? Uh, you know, doesn't he have to report this to the uh, department of defense or something? I don't, yeah, no, <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. And and by the way, in season seven, they do actually go back to the ruins of the initiative. So they obviously didn't. Maybe they just put some concrete like up at the top. <laughs> I'm like that's it. That, that's enough. We're gonna save some right, money the, here. The, 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 the contractors pocketed the rest. Yeah. They said, "Oh sure, we filled it all all in, all in." <laughs> yep, general, whatever you are of the military, uh, whatever it is that is doing this. It's, there yeah. are a couple of uh, of good bits at the uh, second episode. There's a, a good scene where Riley cuts open his chest to remove his uh, microchip. Right. Um, it's a darn good thing that chips were giant in the 90s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it was yeah. some sort of little arm thing, he'd never find and it And attached to a nerve, a, a major nerve in his body, and yet he just kind of sure. goes in there and rips it out. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's effective. Um, I also enjoy seeing Forrest's head go spinning out of the explosions. Yeah. That's yes, nice I noticed that. <laughs> And I, I also appreciate that uh, rather than make us sit through more explosions and sparks and things, probably because they ran out of budget, the little montage at the end where they just sort of explain everything with exposition and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and clips is a, it's a nice little time saver. Yep. We didn't want to see all that anymore. No. That leads us to Restless, which is this a weird 20 second episode where um, they take a pause and 
uh, the the idea here, I think, when mentioning about this spell that they cast, and John sort of mentioned this, I think one reason for this episode is the idea that there is actually fallout, that by doing that, they have opened a door that uh, that is uh, has allowed something powerful to walk through and maybe make them pay for the choice they made, which is the premise of this episode, that they're they're all like, oh, we're going to sit here and watch watch movies and we're all hanging out, which I really like. I like that we get time with our friends after the battle is fought. Joyce is like made him dinner and now she's going to go up to bed, but they're going to they're going to stay up and watch some movies, even Giles. And it's fine. They're all, you know, they did this heroic thing. I like that we spend that time with them. And then, of course, they fall asleep immediately, which is a really nice bit where it's literally FBI warning on the videotape and they cut back and they're all out. And then it turns out that there actually is a supernatural creature who is um, going through their dreams. And the four segments of the show, the last four acts of the show are the dreams of Willow and Xander and Giles and Buffy, which leads to Buffy discovering that this mysterious creature that's stalking them all is the spirit of the original Slayer. Um, and she basically b- defeats her by telling her off and saying, no, I'm, I get to have friends. You don't like me having friends? Too bad. I live in the world and I have friends. And, uh, and also there's a guy with cheese in every dream that's never explained. <laughs> Made a little space for the cheese slices. Uh, when I was watching this on rewatch, I fell asleep, uh, and I didn't really remember <gasps> no, how it, will get you what too. happened. You and like, it. <laughs> and it was just really weird to wake up in the middle of this and go like, "Oh, oh, I, I think I need to uh, wake up and wash my face and start this over because <laughs> I'm very, very disturbed right now." <laughs> It's like an immersive experience of this episode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really dig this episode. Um, I love it. I, I really enjoy dream logic, and the dream logic in this episode is just impeccably it's weird. So, and it's so true to life, I think. Like the idea yeah. that, like, where Xander goes in the back of the ice cream truck and he just kind of keeps going, or when Giles follows the microphone cable off the stage, where it's just sort of like, that's how dreams work, I think, where, where it's like there's a transition that doesn't make any sense, and then you just go with it, and it feels authentically dreamlike to me yeah yep it's great also the, great tony head song here this is like there <laughs> there is not not to spoil this for you steve but in a couple seasons there's going to be an all musical episode and this yes. i feel like this is the prototype for the musical episode is the we've got to warn buffy song that he sings on stage at the bronze in this <laughs> yeah unfortunately the least disturbing thing in this episode is the the spirit of the slayer or whatever it is it's the least scary thing here and it frankly kind of kills the mood whenever it shows up um the rest of it's great i would say that actually the most disturbing thing in this episode is they jump straight to the credits at the beginning yes there's no opening scene and that kind of had me off kilter right from the beginning (laughs) yeah and actually i think i think this is one of those things with the with how it was broadcast versus how it's seen on home video i think what they did was um they they cut all of the previously's off the home video versions of this. And I think the previously in Restless is a super quick cut of the entire season. Ah. And then goes into the credits. But uh it's so it was not, probably longer than the usual uh, previously scene. Well, I think it's it's like super quick and then uh but but you don't get to see it. So it's it's sort of like previously was the whole season and now there's this thing. 
Well, it ends up kind of working because I was like, wait a minute, no opener? What? What's going on? And then it would go into the dream logic. So yeah, right. It as, it, nice as, it, as it aired, the 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 quarters were the were the commercial breaks, and it was perfectly done to to time to those commercial breaks. Which I I, I always love when someone makes a virtue of uh of sort of the limitations of their form. You know, like when in the old days when record albums would have a perfect side one and a perfect side two, you know, that sort of thing. I, I, lo I love the, the fact that, that Whedon wrote this towards those commercial breaks so well. Yeah, there's no uh, teaser and act one is extremely short because it's up to them falling asleep at the FBI warning. Right, and then those right. four acts with the four characters are very long. And that's where each of the four dreams is. Right. This is this is my favorite episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wow. And and it it's it's exactly for what everyone has said about the way it it uses dream logic and the way that it it feels completely real to to dreams. It, it does a lot of character work. It, it we we really do get to see everyone's anxieties played out in a, in a, in a, a beautiful way uh willows and xander's and and giles's and buffy's in in a way that is not as obvious as sometimes we've we've seen in this season where people you know people make sort of obvious character choices to to heighten what their problems are they're going through i thought thought that willows one is particularly poignant in a way that what you, you kind of feel like they're setting it up like everyone's going to find out throughout throughout her dream she's being told everyone will find out yeah who you really are and you think that oh she's got anxiety about revealing herself to be gay to the world but it turns out in the end the the what she's revealed to be is a nerd yep. at the end she's it's like it's her clothes from the pilot it's the terrible right. outfit she wore in the pilot yeah and 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 I, I that I find that very very moving. I find the the I I I love the fact that in the end, the way that Buffy dispels the power of the dream is the way one can dis dispel a dream if you're if you're lucid is basically just to deny it to say I realize I'm dreaming. You have no power. Right. The first Slayer Get keeps stabbing her, and she's like, right. "No, you, you're going to stop that now." Right. So. <laughs> So I and 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 Anthony Head's song here, I as, as much as as much as I love the musical, there's a little part of me that wishes that they'd never done the musical because this is such a special moment when he breaks into the song here, and it was so it was so beautiful and it showcases his voice so well and it's it was so surprising and funny and lovely at, at that moment um i just had it steam cleaned <laughs> it's great <laughs> so, so good but but you know i as i say that this is my favorite episode of buffy the vampire slayer i also recognize that it builds so much upon what we know about the characters i don't think you could show this to someone who didn't know the series and say oh here's why you should watch buffy the vampire slayer no they way. would be completely confused no you gotta you know this isn't one of those episodes that really pays off this is sort of how i feel when we talk about like avengers movies and things it's like this is not an accessible episode but it pays off your knowledge of these characters so if you spent four seasons with these characters then you see this and you can you can see what it's about but you know if you're showing somebody a buffy episode for the first time maybe show them hush but don't show them this and it also has some very interesting, not clear at all foreshadowing for 
next season. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were, it's definitely at the time, obviously, we didn't know. So I remember watching this when it aired and it was kind of all cryptic. But but when you when you watch, which, you know, Steve hasn't yet, but when you watch after having seen some of the stuff, I, I imagine there's stuff planted in here that didn't come to fruition, but there's enough that is foreshadowed here where um, there's the whole be back before dawn and Buffy looks in the spare room and at her, at her house. And that is a direct reference to what is about to happen in season five. And uh, I think that's kind of delightful. And we see the we see the the power of the first Slayer. Um, in a few contexts down the road, which is also pretty cool. Um, I also love, as a giant Star Trek nerd, that the uh, battle with the first Slayer in the desert is at Vasquez Rocks, home of all <laughs> yeah. like classic TV, especially classic Star Trek episodes. Uh, and if you want a desert setting with lots of big like backgrounds and stuff, you go out to Vasquez Rocks and shoot there mm-hmm. for a day, which they did. Um, lots of directing flourishes too, where Joss Whedon is trying to work on his, uh, feature film resume, where there's some, uh, in the fight scene where there are those, uh, the slow motion kicks that are like with no sound. And then you cut back to the regular speed and like, he's trying some on a TV budget. He's trying to do some flourishes here. Also another episode confirming that Xander is just pretty gross in general. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I like, like, yes, exactly right. It's like, yep, yep, this is the mind of Xander Harris, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Although I do, I love the surrealism of the drive in the ice cream truck where it's just yeah. a green screen background and it's totally not real. And Anya's like, oh, I can drive with my hand gestures. And he just abandons it and walks into the back where, where uh, Tara and Willow are kissing, except he never gets there. Like, I, it's just, it's, it's very funny. And the whole Heart of Darkness thing with Principal Snyder, which uh, makes me laugh and laugh and laugh. So, but yes, he is, uh, it, it's Xander. He's, uh, he's, he's kind of gross. <laughs> it, it did occur to me that Apocalypse Now is Xander's first choice on the VH, VCR. Yeah, right. right. I, I, I didn't put that together. Uh, yeah, yeah. They want, they want, he said, and he says, which I like, he's like, I also got chick flicks and uh, English guy flicks. <laughs> 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 okay whatever that is i don't even know what that is the english patient i don't don't know the dresser i don't what is that anyway i I, somebody freeze frame see what the other uh, videotapes are that they've uh, rented for (laughs) their movie marathon that they don't get to um yeah i I think it's a great episode and yes it, it is i think viewed from one perspective it's complete nonsense and yet viewed from inside the show and understanding who these characters are, it's actually brilliant and of, of letting you think about like what is making these characters tick. And that's why you have to view it from that perspective or it will be just no, make no sense and be kind of garbage. And it's, it, I think it's, it's also Riley's finest moment. Oh, I, I love that scene with Riley and, uh, and uh, human Adam. <laughs> Where they're like, they got the he's got the gun on the table and he's like, pew pew, I'm a I'm a super spy guy, and it's like, that's Buffy's view of of uh, Riley. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> Anything else about season four of Buffy overall? How how did uh, how did everybody feel about it? It's pretty middle of the road for me, but I think it does have some really excellent standout episodes and some really nice character arcs. Yeah, I didn't like it as much this time around as I have in the past, and I'm not sure what that's about. Um, but I do like it overall. I like 
kind of the beginnings of Tara and Willow. I want to give Tara, well, and Willow an injection of confidence and just be like, okay, it's, it's okay. Be, be okay. Um, so I get a little bit frustrated with not their relationship, but like with Tara's shy, reserved unconfidence, I guess a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an okay season. It starts out pretty strong and then just kind of is there. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place for me. Um, the highs are very, very high and the lows are very, very low. Uh, I could never watch Beer Bad again. It's so <laughs> freaking terrible. Yeah. And uh, there are two or three others that, that are just on my absolute, you know, I, that, those are hours I will never get back mm-hmm. list. Uh, and then you got Hush and you've got some some great things like A New Man. You got the final episode, which is terrific. Um but I, it feels like something that it feels like they had a plan and it got interrupted at some point. Maybe, you know, the Oz leaving out of the blue messed things up. Uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, but it's it's just I, overall, I really enjoyed it. And I think that the, the things that are the episodes that are really, really good uh, carry it for me. But, um, you know, I wish it I wish it held together a little better. Yeah, I think that what um, I remember liking it better uh, initially, and I think what it, I, what stayed with me in my mind was the more college oriented uh, um, material, and I had kind of forgotten about Adam, and you know, and certainly didn't remember that he you know takes over like from the second half of the season. Um, so. I think, you know, I think we, we, you know, have talked about how the college stuff, uh, when it's done right, it's really good. And I liked that they made that transition to going to college, but then they sort of dropped the ball. When I think of season four, I think of Miss Kitty Fantastico, because (laughs) just like Miss Kitty Fantastico, there were these moments of delight and surprise and then a lot of them just never ended up amounting to anything. So, uh, so I agree that the, the highs are high and the lows are low. It's, it's a paradox. It has Hush and Restless, which are two of my absolute favorite episodes of Buffy. And it has an overall plot that I can't really recommend. But it also has the introduction of Tara, who is one of the great creations of the series. Yeah, so for me, this is, um, it's better than I remember because I think I remember the simplicity of like, the initiative isn't that great, Adam is really bad, um, and that's all, the the story arc is disappointing. But I feel like after three seasons, like, we know these characters so well, and what I had forgotten was all the great little moments scattered throughout the whole season, funny stuff, uh, poignant stuff great character moments and for me that is part of the appeal of of buffy is that even a mediocre episode not a bad episode like beer bad but a mediocre episode of buffy is going to have some stuff in it that's going to be great because there's just going to be really funny bits it's way funnier than i remember it being like every episode i watched and i love this show but every episode i watched i was like oh i forgot that that was in this episode and that that was that funny so for me it goes a long way 
on that, on on the engine that is now um, running at full power in terms of like everything we know about these characters and the fact that they are quirky enough and odd enough and 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 we care about them enough to follow them through and then the the high highs are fantastic the the bad episodes are are quite bad the story arc doesn't really gel but um it i wouldn't say it was a bad season just because there's so much good in it even in the episodes that are just okay and that there's some really great character arcs in here but you know it's also not the series best there's no doubt about it and and the fact that it starts out in college, but doesn't really come across as the college season in the end because it's kind of abandoned when it becomes the initiative season, uh, and, and it's it's that part's unfortunate. But um, but I was very happy to revisit it because there's a lot of great stuff in here, including Hush, which is one of the series highlights. All right, I think we've reached the end of this one. But hey, you know what? Uh, be back before dawn because season five is just around the corner. <laughs> Um, I wonder what will happen then. But until then, um, I would like to thank my panelists for being here and talking about season four. You know, my daughter is about to go off to college, so it was especially poignant watching the episodes where our, our gang goes off to college. Aline Sims, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. G. McDonald, thank you. Thanks. I hope your daughter does not have Kathy for a roommate. A demon for a roommate. Yeah, hopefully not. Hopefully not. John McCoy, thank you. Thanks so much. I've been thinking about podcasts (laughs) Uh, Quinn Rose thank you I did not nearly express how much I loved her in this episode but no podcast could contain my love for her so thank you for having me on we'll have more we'll have more Tara to talk about next time too and Steve Lutz thank you everyone's getting spanked but me (laughs) anyway uh, ask not (laughs) for who this cheese plate is for it's uh, not it's not for you Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.